Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. It's one of the most inspiring chapters. You could preach a whole series of sermons on it, and and many preachers have done so. But this evening I want to be like an American tourist, coming to see Europe in three days, or Ireland in an afternoon. And we're going to try and cover it in one go. Because if you think about it, that's what the original hearers got. In fact, they didn't just get chapter 11 in one go, they got chapters 1 to 13 in one go. That was the sermon that week as they went to church. They sat down and the the preacher stood up and said, We have received a letter from our dear brother. going to read it to you. And in the midst of it, there would have been chapter 11. What would have been the cumulative force that would have hit them? What would have been the, the big themes that they would have taken away as they would sit listening to it in their meeting house, in their place of gathering? There'd be big ideas, there'd be melodies that would stick with them, that they'd be humming as they would go out the door, so to speak. And yes, every time they would think of Old Testament characters, they would do so with different eyes. They would hear about them with different ears because of this chapter. And hopefully you will too. But we're not going to dwell on the individual characters. Now, oh, we'll touch on them. But the key theme here is obviously faith. Faith, persevering faith. The author had said in chapter 10 and verse 39, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith. It's the same word that some versions say who believe. It be better to say have faith and are saved. And the next verse now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This isn't the definition of all that faith is. Faith is more. Faith is fully entrusting ourselves to Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. Faith is joined by repentance. That's saving faith. And the author here is speaking about a faith. The faith that doesn't shrink back. That doesn't give up under pressure. He's talking about persevering faith. And there are four big ideas that jumped out at me as I was looking at the chapter this week. And I want us to think about them this evening. First of all, and I think this is maybe maybe one of the biggest ideas, faith sees into an unseen world. Faith sees into an unseen world. I read a a fictional book recently about uh, two overlapping cities. They lived side by side, but there was something mysterious. It was a science fiction book. And these cities kind of overlapped, so there were streets that had properties in one city and properties in another. And people who lived in one city and people who lived in another, and they had different dress senses and different architecture and drove different styles of cars. And the inhabitants were not meant to look at what was going on in the interlocking city with theirs. They were to learn to unsee to recalibrate their eyesight, to not see the things in the other city. Well, there's something of that here, except it's exactly the opposite. 
We live in overlapping worlds. There's this country and a better one. There is this city and a better city. There is the treasure of Egypt and there's the reward of heaven. And instead of learning to unsee, we need to learn to see the other world, the unseen world. Because that's the big problem for these Christians, these Jewish believers. They've come from the highly visible and visual world of Old Testament um, believing with the temple and the priests and the sacrifices. And now they're gathering in some, somebody's house maybe or in some rented building and there's nothing visible or visual about it at all really. What's going to keep them going? Well, persevering faith is having a confidence in what they hope for and being convinced about what they don't see. It's being convinced of the utter reality and the pressing importance of these things. Did you notice the language throughout the chapter of seeing and unseen and visible and invisible and looking for? Now faith, verse 1, is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Verse 7, by faith Noah when warned about things not yet seen. Verse 13, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them from a distance. So we could go on through the chapter. Verse 26, Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Here's what is going to keep them going because it kept their great heroes of the faith going. They weren't living by what was seen but according to what was unseen. They were seeing invisible realities. We need souls that are so saturated with the truth. We're hearing about it so much that, that we see, as it were, the invisible realities. They become clear to us. Faith. Faith sees the unseen reality of life. Consider a few of the ways in the chapter we see it. I think I've got four. Faith sees unseen dangers. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, built an ark. Verse 7. God was speaking about judgment. And there was no evidence of judgment coming. It took him perhaps, it would seem, about a hundred years to build the ark. It may even have been that it hadn't rained on the land um, in the world at that stage. That may be the case. Not sure about that, but certainly this threat of judgment was unseen. And Noah believes that the unseen dangers are real and urgent and he must act. Faith sees that there are unseen dangers, that we must guard ourselves from uh, dangers of temptation, dangers of um, fiery arrows from Satan, dangers of him throwing doubts at us that we are not to uh, entertain, temptations that we are not to dally with. 
Faith sees unseen dangers. Faith sees unseen glories. That's what faith did for Abraham. And Sarah, when they upped sticks and moved, and as they waited for the promised land, and they waited, and they waited, and they kept trusting, even though they're still living in tents. But we read in verse 13 that they're, they're waiting, longing for a better country. They saw what was coming. And they said, we can put up with a tent because we can see that God is going to do something. Oh, and it's far better. It's far better. It's a city with foundations. It's not a tent. It's not a city in this world. It's a city. Oh, God. God has designed it. He's the architect and he's the builder. What what convinces you of a better country? Seeing it by faith. Faith allowed Moses to see unseen glories. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value because he was looking ahead. The word there means he fixed his eyes on what was ahead. He turned his back on status. He turned his back on the pleasures of sin. He turned his back on the treasures of this world because he saw a glory that outranked them all. Faith chooses the invisible over the visible because it sees that the invisible is more, more majestic, greater, better, more valuable. One of the old writers, a man called John Owen, says this, Faith gives unto the soul a taste of the goodness of the things promised. You've been at somebody's house and you can smell what they're making you for your tea. And you can taste it, even though you're not at the table yet. Well, faith, and maybe, maybe you know the person well, and maybe they've invited you to there, and you're not even there to smell it. And they've told you what they're making, and you know, you know their ability. And you're already tasting it by faith, and you can't wait to get there. Well, John Owen says, it is faith alone that takes believers out of this world while they are in it. Sorry, that's a different quote. We'll come to that one. Faith gives unto the soul a taste of the goodness of the things promised. Faith gives a representation of their beauty and glory, whereby we should behold them as if they were present. Faith sees the unseen glories. And then he says, it is faith alone that takes believers out of this world while they are in it. Somebody says to you, you are somewhere else there. A teacher would say that to me. My mum would say that to me. I was just daydreaming. But in a sense, the believer is to have that, not time-wasting daydreaming, but that meditating daydreaming that, that sees the realities that are ours, that take us, as it were, out of this world and sees the treasures that belong to us. One continues, it is faith alone that exalts them above it, this world, when they are under its rage and enables them to live upon things future and invisible. What's keeping you going? You can't be living off the things of this world. Oh, 
the hate and the scorn and the ridicule and the ostracism and all of those things. You can't live off that. Ah, but I'm living off something that's ahead. Faith sees the unseen glories. Faith, faith sees spiritual realities. Moses' parents saw that he was no ordinary child. They saw, even in those first months, that God had been doing something. However they saw that. Rahab saw the spiritual reality that the God that she had heard about was capable of destroying all the fortified cities of Canaan. Faith sees spiritual reality. And a fourth one, faith sees the richness and beauty of God. Verse 27. Moses, Moses we read, by faith left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. Why? Because He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Moses kept going because he saw God. He saw God. He had seen the most beautiful, valuable being in the universe. So that's it. I don't care what I'm leaving behind in Egypt. I've got God and that's enough. And that's what will keep us going when we face pressure. When we face trials that grind us down, when we face the shock disappointment of people turning against us, when we face the hurtful attacks of snide comments or looks, it's that we have seen into the unseen world the treasures that belong to us, the dangers that we're avoiding, the realities that are ours, the God who is ours. See the value of what we have. Be convinced of it. Faith looks forward when there seems to be nothing to look forward to. Faith looks forward when there seems to be nothing to look forward to. That's what verse 20 and 20 to 22 are about. Isaac blesses. Jacob blesses. Joseph gives instructions. It all seems to be dwindling out, but these men are looking ahead. Here's how we cope with pressures. Here's how we fight temptations. We need to see into the unseen world to see the dangers, the rocks, the shoals, the reefs of unbelief that would shipwreck our souls, the snares of Satan. It's not just a little temptation. It's a soul-endangering temptation. Faith sees the unseen realities. And so we must keep our faith fueled. We need to take day trips to the unseen world. It has to be real for us. We need to sightsee. We need to bring postcards of heaven home with us and portraits of God. We need to check the value of the earthly euro against the value of heavenly gold. Our values and priorities need retweaking and recalibrating every so often. Moses chose the unseen over social prestige and sinful pleasure and financial treasure. We'll only do that if we keep our perspective and see the unseen world. In a world that denies the reality of another kingdom, we are to see the reality of that kingdom. We need to ask ourselves, what are we doing to see this unseen world? Faith sees into an unseen world. And that being the case, secondly, 
faith lives in accordance with the unseen world. Faith lives in accordance with the unseen world. These people took their marching orders from the unseen king. They took their hope from his pronouncements and promises. So we're to do the same. We see two things. Faith obeys the commands. Faith obeys the commands. Throughout the chapter, there's a language of obedience. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, Abraham, when called, obeyed. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Verse 27. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's command. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army marched around them as they were told. Faith acts on the basis of what God says because faith sees into the unseen world and sees that God sees everything that's happening. God is the one who controls everything. God sees all things. God is all good and all wise. And if God says we should do something, it's because he knows what the best thing to do is and faith believes it and does it. Obedience is not just doing what God says. Obedience is, in a sense, hearing a voice of the all-wise God, as it were, speaking from the future and saying, do this, this is what works for the best. How do you know? Well, I can see how it works out. That's what obedience is. It's not just a list of rules that we, we live by. It's acting on the basis of faith that God knows what he's doing when he's telling us what to do. And so that's what we see here. They lived by obedient faith. Faith gets on with obeying. Even we see when it seems odd. And we'll come back to that theme in a moment. And then the second thing. Faith obeys the commands and faith really believes the promises. Faith really believes the promises. I was going to just keep it the same as the other one. Faith believes the promises, but no, there's something more here. Obeying and trusting are two sides of the same coin. But what does believing the promises look like? Well, we see in the chapter. I love the example the author picks in verse 19. One of the most staggering examples of obedient faith. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And then the writer unpacks what's going on in Abraham's head. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Abraham said, right, God, God has promised that I will have a son. And that son specifically, I have been told, will be through Sarah. And it will be Isaac. And it is through Isaac that my offspring will be reckoned. And God has said, I am to put Isaac to death. Well, he can't keep his promise that my offspring will come through Isaac if Isaac doesn't live. So therefore, God must be able to... Re I must obey God. And therefore, God must be able to raise the dead. And what's astonishing is there's never been a resurrection to this point. And Abraham takes his faith and presses it into his problem. 
and believes in the power of God. Faith-filled obedience. Here's the promise and factors in God's power and faithfulness. And you know, sometimes we might think, you know, but you've got to be realistic. We're called to believe that God might do this. We're called to believe that God... Well, we've got to be realistic, somebody says. Well, yes, you do. But nothing is more real than God. It's the whole point of seeing the unseen world. Nothing is more real than God. Faith marches around a city seven times because God says so and trusts that he'll take care of the walls. And he does. Faith walks through towering walls of water. I wonder if there were doom and gloom merchants and pragmatists saying, well, you know, Moses, it's all very well, but consider the force of that water. It's not going to stay up there forever. You know, this wind that seems to be blowing, that we can't count on that to stay. You know, we've got to be realistic, Moses. Maybe we should turn and do a deal with the Egyptians. Faith marched through. Faith expects God to do great things. Look at verse 33 and following. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength. Faith saw miracles happen. Faith saw lions not devouring. Faith saw flames not consuming. Faith saw 300 men defeat an army of thousands. Faith saw resurrections happen. And I've been really struck by this over the last while. I was reading a biography of a man, a preacher called John Milne. And he was pondering why some churches were flourishing and some weren't. And he said this, I see some whose heart seems to be right with God, and yet they do not receive much blessing on their work. And he's allowing God to be sovereign to bless in some places and not in others. He's allowing for that. But he makes this comment. There is a dishonoring of the Lord by the lack of a large, joyful, practical expectation. There's the word. Expectation. A large, joyful, practical expectation that goes on in his strength and surely prevails. Many seem never to get it and to drudge on in an unprofitable routine. Saying, are we expecting God to work? Are we expecting God to do the impossible? What miracles are we asking for as individuals, as a church? What society surprising outcomes are we asking for? What promises are we reminding God of? What requests are we making for the sake of his kingdom? For our church, for our county, for our community, for our country? Are we actually living by active faith? Are we expecting? These people expected. They expected God to work. And God honored that. And yes, there's an expecting God to work that also trusts that if God doesn't do it the way we have asked him to, that he's only done that because it is for the best. And we trust him with that too. That's what faith is. Faith isn't this, uh, what, what some Christians believe in, this sort of word of faith thing where they declare that this is the way it will be. 
and in a sense they expect almost God to be hostage to the size of their request. But no, God knows more and God is wiser. And we trust him with that too. But are we, as John Milne put it, uh, drudge on, drudging on in an unprofitable routine? Are we living with faith-filled obedience and really believing his promises and his power? It's a challenge for us as congregations. As we have gone on faithfully in obedience, yes, maybe become weary in expectation, but let's refresh that in faith that God can and will work in this area. Let us ask big things of God. Thirdly, faith is prepared to look foolish in this world. Faith is prepared to look foolish in this world. If the unseen world is more real than this world, and the prospect of eternity is greater and deeper than the few grains of time of this life, if God is glorious and we are dust, if we are damned but could be glorified, then the most rational and intelligent thing to do is to look past the visible and to live in the light of the invisible, to live for the unseen. That all sounds very well on a Sabbath evening in church. But you will look foolish for a large chunk of your life and maybe even right to the end. But faith is prepared to look foolish to the world. Think of Noah, 100-year construction project on a massive boat. Well, Noah, where's this rain you were talking about? What is rain, Noah, by the way? Um, uh, where's this flood? You know, <laughs> Noah, this boat you've been building, it's, it's taken you 40 years. Noah, it's taken you 50 years. It's taken you 60 years. It's taken you 80 years. Think of the mockery that there would have been down at the local hostelry or or tavern, or pub, you know. Let's, let, let's go on the way home, we'll call by Noah's Ark, and we'll, we'll have a good old laugh, and we'll jeer, and we'll daub a few slogans on the side of it. Think how stupid Noah looked. Think of Gideon and Joshua and their great battle strategies. What are you going to do, Gideon? Are you going to gather a great army? Well, I, I got a great army, but I've whittled it down to 300. Oh, are they the finest fighting men you've got? No, they were the ones who lapped the water uh, like a dog. Right? Strange. Well, have you got some great weapons? Yes, yes, I have. I've got clay jars and a burning stick. And how many people are you against? Oh, thousands, thousands of Midianites. How foolish they would have looked. Are you prepared to look foolish at school? In the mart? Amongst your friends, turning down business opportunities, turning down promotions because they would compromise your faith or your commitment to the church. Some of you have been looking foolish as you've done those things. Be encouraged. That's how faith acts. Think how it ended. The rain fell, the Midianites fled. The walls of Jericho tumbled. They were vindicated for their faith. 
even when they looked foolish. And sometimes we are vindicated in this life. But think, as you go through this list, there were people who weren't really vindicated in this life. Abraham, somebody meets him in Canaan and says, what's your name? And he says, I'm father of nations. Oh, you must have a big family. Well, no, actually. I, 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 I have none. Uh, all right. Who called you father? Oh, God. God did. And you believed him? And he dies with eight sons to his name. Moses leaves behind the power of perhaps being Pharaoh and the riches of the greatest country in the world, the empire in the world at that time. And he goes because he's looking ahead to a greater reward. Well, how did that finish for him? Alone, on a hilltop, having taken 40 years to make an 11-day journey. And he didn't even get to the promised land. I wonder were there any old Egyptians sniggering at Moses when the news would filter back. In a sense, neither Abraham nor Moses were vindicated in this life. We learn that faith is being prepared to keep trusting even when there is a delay. We learn that faith is being prepared to keep trusting even when we're not vindicated in this life. We learn that faith is prepared to be thought a fool right to the very end. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Verse 39, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Not yet. Faith is being sure, despite the continued absence of what we hope for, Jesus hasn't returned. The presence of what we fear, a godless world. And certain despite what we do see all around us. Faith perseveres even when it's thought foolish. Are we ready to be thought a fool to our very last breath? And then fourthly, faith perseveres because a better world is coming. Here's a fourth theme that these readers would have taken away from this. It's that idea that's repeated over and over and over again. A better world. A better reward. Something better was coming. A day when that great unseen realm will start to appear, to materialize right in front of people's eyes. And God's people will, will look at it and go, Yes! Yes! We told you! And they lost the unconverted, the unbelieving will look at it with ghastly horror etched in their faces as they recall every rejection and every word of mockery that they have ever uttered. And that persevering faith that keeps going to the end is what is seen here. It keeps going. It keeps going. Moses kept going. Abraham kept going. Noah kept going. Joshua kept going. They kept going. And do you see the language of delight and reward that permeates the chapter? The previous chapter closed with God will not be pleased. This chapter opened with this is what the ancients were commended for. Verse 4, by faith 
he was commended as righteous. Verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. Well, that implies that it's possible to please God by faith. He's pleased. He's delighted with our faith. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith brings pleasure to God. And faith brings pleasure from God. He rewards. Abraham, we read, lived in tents, but looked forward to a city. That captures the thing brilliantly. We put up with tents. We put up with little. We put up with less in this world because there is a city. We put up with hardship because there is a city. We put up with, as it were, doing with less as we support the work of Christ's invisible kingdom here in this world because there is a kingdom, a city. Verse 14, not just a city, an entire country, a better one, a heavenly one. And we remember that what God will bring to us will always outweigh anything that this little speck of a planet could offer to us. We read in verse 16, again, of God's delight. God is not ashamed to be called their God. It's a way of speaking where you say something, God is not ashamed to be called their God. It's a way of saying he's delighted. He's delighted to be known as our God. You know, we're not ashamed to look fools as we live as his people. And he says, I'm not ashamed of you. I love you. I delight in you. Sometimes we wonder, don't we? We stumble and fall. We are failed people. And we might wonder how God must be ashamed of us. But no, look at this gallery of people and aren't they all marked by failure? The exception perhaps of uh, Enoch and Abel. No failure recorded of them, but there's Abraham with his doubts and his alternative solutions where he was realistic for a moment with Hagar. Here's Moses with his quick temper. Here's Rahab with her past. Here's Gideon and Samson and David, men marked by grievous failure. And God says, ah, but they persevered. They trusted. They lived by faith. And I am not ashamed of them. And he says, I'm not ashamed of you. You may have stumbled and fallen. You may have blots on your character, but you're seeking to live by faith. I'm not ashamed, and I have a city prepared for you, a place prepared for you, a better city, a better resurrection, something better planned, and God always keeps his promise. We have a glimpse of that in verse 12. Descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands of the seashore, the Jewish people could look at themselves and go, he made that promise. And when Abraham died, he hadn't seen it fulfilled. But here we are now, in AD 50 or 60, whenever it was. And we are. We're all over the place. And Abraham's other sons gave birth to other nations. And they're all over the place. God kept his promise to Abraham. And yet, the chapter reminds us that God's people are still awaiting. 
He hasn't fulfilled his promise finally to Abraham and to Moses and to Rahab and to Sarah and to David. He hasn't fulfilled it. Why not? Closing verse. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Together with us. God is waiting for one grand unveiling for all his people. Not one believer throughout history will be enjoying the full blessings of the new heavens and the new earth one second before any other believer. What a moment the return of Christ will be when that unseen world will become seen. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. We endure whatever comes to us. We endure being thought fools right to the end. We keep going in obedience. We keep trusting because something better awaits. You might say, ah, but Mark, that chapter finishes with a big ask. They're commended for their faith. And yet they still haven't got what was promised. How do we know? How do we know? that he keeps his promise. Because there was a man of faith once. It's not mentioned in this chapter. And the world thought him a fool right to the end of his life. And he died a failure in the world's eyes. But God raised him from the dead and exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. How do we persevere? How do we keep going knowing that God keeps his promise? Look at verse 2 of the next chapter. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. There's how we know. He is the proof that God keeps his promise. He is the proof that the unseen is real. He is the proof that we are not wasting our lives. So let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Amen. If you're able, let's stand as we come to God in prayer. Father in heaven, Thank you for Jesus because he is the the anchor of all your promises. They all find their yes and amen in him. And he is the one who, who guarantees every other promise that you've ever made and guarantees to us that to live by faith in your word is not futile. And Lord, how kind of you that when you call us to live by faith, you come into this world in the person of God the Son and live by faith in the promises of God and show us that those promises are kept and that when we entrust ourselves to the promise-making God, we also entrust ourselves to the promise-keeping God. And we thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that for all of us, you would enable us to see the unseen world, that it would become more real to us, 
that we would have postcards of heaven and portraits of God in our hearts and in our minds, in the, the, the gallery of our soul, that we would be able to see the, the other city around us, that we would be able to see the values of heaven set against the things on earth. Let us see the price tags that heaven puts on the, the products of earth. Let us hear the praise of God set alongside the praise of people. Let us hear and see the unseen. Lord God, and help us to, to walk in obedience to your commands, to persevere, even when we're thought foolish and stupid, and to keep at it when there's delay, and even to the end of our days. And help us to have this expectant faith that even though there's a delay, that we are not wasting our time or our efforts, but Lord, help us to expect you to do great things, to expect you to raise the dead in terms of bringing spiritual life to vast swathes of this county and this country. And yet, help us to remember too, the balancing part of that section, that there were those who were sawn in two, and those who wandered round and lived in caves and in holes in the ground, because they had that same faith, that expectant faith, and it wasn't limited to what you would do in time, but what you would do for them for eternity. And so help us to persevere. Help us to keep going. Lord, make us, make our children, make our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, men and women who have eyes that see the unseen and who walk in this seen world with an aroma of the unseen world about them so that people ask them to give a reason for the hope that they have. Lord God, Surprise us by what you do in our community and in our county and in our country. We ask it in faith because the Lord Jesus Christ, he is worthy. We ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen.